But yes, uh, it's been an exciting week for the church. Um, it ended uh, uh, the week uh, with, with an incredible uh, you know, uh, double dip uh, for the church as two of our teens were baptized uh, this, uh, this yes, yesterday morning. There's Amy. Where's Amy? Where's Amy? There she is. You can stand up. You can stand up and say hello to everybody. Amy was baptized. Congratulations to Amy Hollywood for getting baptized. And then Miles Davis was baptized as well. Where's Miles? There he is. It was a, it was a great occasion and uh, just so proud of our team ministry. The team ministry is on the rise in the Birmingham church. God is working. It is exciting. And we know there are more teens uh, who will be getting baptized soon. I'm sure of that. Uh, amen. It is uh, bittersweet in the teens, though, as they're losing a few of their graduates, uh, going on to bigger, uh, bigger things as they get older. Uh, Mia, of course, is graduating and going to university down in London. This is her last Sunday uh, today, so we'll say goodbye to her for now. She'll be back to visit, just da- just down the road, really. Uh, and Cameron has graduated from the teens as well, but he's staying and doing university here. So uh, Cameron, Cameron cannot escape us. So he's uh, he's sticking around. Yeah, the book of Philippians, we've been studying together, and we've been learning a lot together. And last uh, Sunday, we talked about this idea of keep obeying, uh, and how God wants us to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and how He wants us to light up this world in and through Christ. And hopefully we obeyed Jesus in some way this last week, and did something uh, about what we studied. And we left off in verse 18, and so let's pick it up uh, in verse 19. Paul continues to write to the church in Philippi, and he gets personal again. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus, in Philippians 2, verse 19, to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him, he says, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son... With his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Verse 25, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, verse 27, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, Paul says, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This afternoon, let's talk about keep serving, this idea of keep serving. After reminding me and inspiring the church in Philippi to shine like stars based on the example of Christ, which we spent a lot of time on, right, uh, in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 18, uh, Paul then, then, then calls the church to two real-life examples of what he's just talked about. Two men who are literally sitting with him on house arrest in Rome, that emulate in our examples of what he's called the church in Philippi to be. Uh, Because Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to Rome to take care of Paul and meet some of his needs. 
And some of that was probably a financial contribution based on chapter 4. We'll look at that in a moment. And Timothy is, is actually at Paul's side. The letter in chapter 1, verse 1 is written, it says, from Paul and Timothy. Uh, and so Timothy was a young missionary uh, whom Paul was training. And Paul, he normally name drops at the ends of his letters. I'll say, you know, this person and that person. But here he does it right in the middle, I believe, because he, he thought about inspiring the church. And he saw these two guys right there with him. And he thought, these are two great examples for you guys to follow. Uh, Timothy uh, and Epaphroditus are very different. Very different men if you learn a little bit about their background. We won't spend a lot of time here, but in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, we find out, which is one actually literally the last letter Paul wrote uh, before his execution, we find out that Timothy, uh, he's from Lystra. Uh, Acts 16 records him going with Paul on his first missionary journey. Uh, and so he's from Lystra, uh, but his mother and grandmother were both disciples of Jesus, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. And so Timothy is more of a, of a kid who grew up in the church, right? Um, and as I said in Philippians 1, verse 1, and chapter 2, verse 19, uh, Paul says in 1, 1 that the letter is from him and, and, and Timothy. So Timothy was either Paul's scribe as he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi or, or, or gave you know, Paul through the Holy Spirit a few thoughts himself. We don't really know. It says Paul and Timothy to the church uh, in Philippi, although Paul, of course, uh, was the apostle. Timothy, uh, he's an he's a evangelist in the making. Uh, he eventually will be left by Paul in Ephesus. And he will lead that church. That church, some historians say, was up to 10,000 members at one point. Uh, and Timothy was a very powerful man uh, toward the end of his life, leading that great congregation uh, in the first century. Um, and so Timothy, that's kind of who he was. Epaphroditus is quite different from Timothy. Uh, he's only mentioned in this letter, uh, in the Bible, twice in chapter 2 and, and, and chapter 4. Uh, he was probably not fortunate enough, as Timothy was, to grow up amongst the church. Uh, his name Epaphroditus uh, in Greek uh, means belonging to Aphrodite, which is the Greek goddess of love. And so it's very unlikely if his parents were Christians that they would have now named their son, you know, after a Greek god. Uh, and so uh, uh, Epaphrodite was, 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 Epaphroditus was converted, uh, you know, through the message uh, that Paul brought uh, in Philippi. And then he becomes, uh, as it says in chapter 2, verse 25, a messenger on, the, on behalf of the church in Philippi to Paul, and so he arrives uh, with Paul in Rome, and of course on the way uh, gets sick and nearly dies uh, trying to get to Paul uh, and be uh, an aid to him as we have just read. Um, and chapter 4 verse 18 says that he has brought some kind of gift on behalf of the church of Philippi to Paul uh, there in Rome. And so he was, you know, in some sense, you know, a, you know, a, a courier, an errand boy, if you will, for the church, a deacon, uh, you know, someone who served uh, in some capacity. And of course, his service had a great impact on Paul. Uh, and we'll look at that here uh, in a moment. And so, you know, this idea of service really flows, uh, you know, this great theological view of Jesus we've looked at now, now kind of comes down to a, to a point. And it really talks about our service to the church and our service in the name of Jesus. And so I want to talk today a little bit about our service uh, amongst one another as Christians and in the church. Uh, you know, I think we all understand the concept of service and how that's part of being a part of the church because without service, the church would not exist and operate and function. Uh, but I think we need to stay inspired as Christians to keep serving and, and to serve more and to serve in greater ways and to serve the ways ultimately uh, that God has, God has called us to. And so Paul, he uses four descriptions of these two men uh, here in the text uh, that I believe hopefully will inspire us and remind us how we can keep serving together uh, as a church. Um, the first thing here is, is he, talks, he talks about Timothy as a child. And this is not condescending, you'll find out here in a moment. Uh, but here in the text, um, 
He says uh, in, in chapter 2, in verse uh, 20, he says, I have no one else like Timothy who shows a genuine concern for your welfare. Verse 21, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus. But you know, in verse 22, that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And so, so, so Paul calls Timothy a, a son to him, you know, as a father. They, they weren't, that wasn't physically true. Paul was not physically uh, Timothy's uh, father. But, but, but Timothy was like a son, like a child to Paul spiritually um, in that sense. Uh, the Greek uh, word here for genuine is, is, is quite interesting. At the top there, uh, Philippians 2 verse 20 um, it's an adverb, right? Uh, it, it has a related, uh, and it's only used here in the whole New Testament. It has a related uh, adjective uh, that's used four times. And, and when it's used in other places, it refers to a child, a child born in wedlock, a, a genuine child. Uh, Paul uses it twice to refer to t- once to Titus and once to Timothy as true sons. It's, it's true in the NIV. In the beginning of those two epistles, Timothy and Titus, he calls them true sons. And so today it's, you know, it's like saying, that's my boy. You know, that, that's my girl, and, and that literally might be true. I say that about my girls a lot. Hey, you know, hey, girl, that, you know, hey, girlfriend, you know, that, that's kind of a term of endearment for me and my daughters. I've got four daughters. And, uh, or it can be someone you're really close to. You know, that's my boy. You know, that, that's my girl. You know, it's, it's, it's this term of endearment. Uh, and, and one of the reasons Paul says that Timothy is like a son is that he has this genuine concern there in chapter 2 and uh, verse 20, this genuine concern. Uh, and we talked a little bit about the Greek word for genuine there uh, and how it can be translated as true and legitimate. Um, and this is the epitome of family, isn't it? That, that we have genuine concern for others. And it's always tragic when you come across a physical family, mom, dad, or a mom or a dad, and sons or daughters, and they don't love each other. They don't care for each other. They don't, they don't function as a family. And even some of us probably come from broken families. And maybe you're in the middle of a broken family right now, and it's just, it just, we just know it's not right. There's something innate in, in a human family that knows that we should be looking out for each other, that we should have genuine concern for one another. I mean, Paul goes as far as to say in another epistle, if an unbeliever doesn't take care of his family, he, if a believer doesn't take care of his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. Paul actually condemns that very thing uh, inside the church. And so the church... Uh, you know, should be like this. It should be like a family, father-son type relationships amongst one another, mother-daughter type relationships, amen, sisters, you know, amongst one another, full of care and love and, and genuine concern. Now, I think genuine concern is important to emphasize. Not, not token concern, obligatory concern, genuine concern. We really care for one another, like, like a father and son would, like a mother and daughter would, that, that kind of love. And so first we have to ask ourselves to really serve one another is, is do we really genuinely care for each other? Is there that concern? You know, are we a family? You know, do we, do, do we really even know each other? Do we know what's going on in one another's lives? If you're in, in the marriage ministries, do you know the singles? Do you know the students? Do you know the teens? What's going on with them? What their name is? Where they live? What, how, how they're going? Do you know even what to pray for them about? And vice versa, if you're a single or a teen or a student, do you, do you know the merits? You know, do, do, do you have a genuine concern for each other like a son and a father? Timothy displays that for Paul, and Paul talks about that here, but he also displays it for the church in Philippi. 
he was just in Philippi for a little while with Paul, and then they had to they had to leave because of the persecution, and he went on. He he just spent a little bit of time, and so it doesn't take twenty years to develop this kind of love for each other. Timothy did it quite quickly for the church in Philippi. Paul says, he says, I have no one else like like Timothy in verse twenty, who shows this kind of concern for your welfare, referring to the church in Philippi. And then, of course, Paul goes on to say, he's proved himself to me as a son because he treats me the same way. And unfortunately, the tendency sometimes, even in the church, can be verse 21. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And God's church community always overrides the individual. And God's church family always has to override self. But in our sinful nature, that's, that's, that's a challenging thing. In our Western modern mindset, that's a very challenging concept to put community uh, above our individual selves. And our service to one another, or lack thereof, often shows how much we really care for each other. How much we are like this, this son or daughter or father or mother. You know, Timothy was like a son in his heart toward Paul and the church of Philippi, but also I think it was in his head. Uh, I also see this aspect of, of, of Paul calling Timothy a son and, and, and Timothy's submission to Paul. He's very submissive to, to Paul. Children are meant to be submissive to their parents. Amen, teens. Amen, that's right. Amen, parents. That's right. And, and Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents so that it may go well with you. That, that submission is, is meant to be a good thing if the parents do what, what, what they need to do. And amen, we try, don't we, parents? Um, we do fall short. And again, when a child is not submissive to their parent, whether they're 2 or 16, it's kind of like, whoa, something's not right here. Something spiritually smells, you know. It's, it's always, whoa, you know. Because it's just, it's just not the way it was meant to be. A child is always meant to respect and, and be submissive to their parents. And Timothy displays this quite well. Uh, Timothy, um, I'm sorry, that's the wrong slide. Timothy uh, in Acts 16, verse 1 through 3 uh, when he goes to, to be on the missionary journey with Paul, they, the church speaks well of him in Lystra. Paul says, okay, yeah, Timothy, come with me. Timothy says, all right, here I am, send me. Paul says, okay, have you been circumcised? Excuse me, Timothy must have said. Because Timothy, his mother, was, was, a, was a, a Jewess who had become a Christian. But his father, it says, was a Greek. And so apparently his dad maybe got in the way of him being circumcised, even though his mother was a Jew. And so Timothy now, as an adult male, has to be circumcised before he can go and join Paul on the mission. That, that, that's some serious orders from your boss on day one of the job. But Timothy does it, it says. And he's on his way, and now he's you know, a missionary aide to the Apostle Paul. And so Timothy, you know, he was submissive from the start, but, but, but he's still submissive ten years later. This is about ten years into his missionary you know, assistance to Paul. And what is he doing? He's in, in Rome with Paul. Being his scribe, running errands for him, you know, just, just taking care of him. He's still being submissive 10 years later. Um, and, and Paul, you know, uses this phrase here, the last line in verse 22. I meant to have these pop up one at a time, I apologize. Um, Paul says he has proved himself, proved himself. And that Greek word for proved uh, in Romans 5 4, it, it, it's translated character. You know, he has character. And the thing about character is it has to be built over time. Timothy's proved himself to Paul over a decade. 
You know, we serve, you know, we serve a kid's kingdom for a few months. Okay, I proved, I proved it. I'm, I love the church. You know, give me a break for a while. Now that's, we're talking about a decade. And then we could say you're a proven kid's kingdom worker. And that's the standard here, right, that Paul is calling us to. You know, it has been said that people are like tea bags. I thought this was good for the British. People are like tea bags. You never know how strong they are until you drop them in hot water. And to be a son or daughter in the church, it's going to test us. It, it, it's going to challenge us. It's going to push us to get out there and serve and submit over and over and over. Even after you've been hurt or even after it hasn't gone the way it wanted to go. But to continue to do it over and over and over, it's going to be challenging. But it's going to help you build spiritual character. It's going to help me be more like Christ. And we've got to have a culture in our church where we, you know, we, we step up. When there are needs, we step up to the plate. When, when there are, 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 are concerns, you know, we're willing to, to get involved. We're willing to, we're willing to submit. We're willing to give our heart and have genuine concern for each other. And it is important to recognize that proven worth doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take time. You can't microwave your way to spiritual service. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to put, put yourself... Put yourself under some leaders, beside some leaders, and, and just learn to work and learn and learn to trust and learn to give your heart over and over and over. I'm still doing this, you know, uh, as a minister to this day. Uh, and then and then just to have that humility to submit to the church and submit to leadership and trust that God will work through the good and the bad and everything in between to help us to be more like Christ and to help the church to be more and more a family. You know, service equals progress. That on my original slide looked different, uh, but you get the point. There's no special reason the S is on the next slide. That's just a, that's just a. I make it on Keynote. I send it to Wamba on PowerPoint, and sometimes that happens. I apologize. But do you understand what I'm saying? It's not. It's not a negative word. It's not something we should hear about and think, "Oh man, I don't know if I want to commit to that." When, when we start thinking that way, we've lost the concept that we are sons and daughters of the King. And even that we spiritually are sons and daughters of each other. We, none of us came here on our own. We all have some spiritual mothers and fathers. We all have some spiritual grandparents. There's no way we'd be here without that. And our service helps, helps us to, to stay strong and stay united and stay more and more like Jesus because it calls us higher. There are needs in the, in the Birmingham church. I can see that already just being here a month. There are needs in Kids' Kingdom. There are needs on the sound crew. There are needs on the community team. There are needs in ushering. Actually, we don't have ushering outside right now. You know, we, got, we have a real need there. You know, there, there are needs in the men's ministries, in the women's ministry. There are needs in admin. But it's, it's, it's not really about the needs. It's about, it's about us stepping up to the plate in, the, in light of those needs and then God working and God changing us and God changing our church. Service equals Progress and Timothy is, a, Timothy is a great example of that. You know, we all we all want to be you know so, something amazing in the church, and Timothy does become that one day. He becomes this great evangelist uh, in Ephesus. But it started with his just simple decision to be a son to Paul, to be a son to the church, uh, to be a child, to have that childlike heart, and then God, of course, worked in great ways of uh, you know great ways in his life. And then, you know, Epaphroditus, as I said, he's quite the opposite of Timothy. Um, Epaphroditus, um, you know, he, he wasn't a public servant. You know, he wasn't somebody who was well-known. He was known by the church of Philippi, but he, he wasn't somebody, 
you know, you don't, you don't see seminars being, you know, and books being written about Epaphroditus even to this day, right? You don't, you don't hear about him, but you hear about Timothy, right? Because you, you, Timothy, eventually his, his service led to a public role. But most people in the church, their service doesn't lead to a public role necessarily. But it doesn't mean that their part or, or, or the role they play is any less significant. Paul actually spends a whole lot more time praising Epaphroditus in this passage than he does Timothy. And Epaphroditus is more the guy behind the scenes who no one really sees, uh, but is making you know, incredible things happen. And Paul he goes on to, he describes Timothy as a son, and he goes on to describe Epaphroditus as three different things, right? He, he in verse 25, is, Paul says, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. Wouldn't you love to have the Apostle Paul say that about you? Man, Epaphroditus has been feeling pretty good. You know, when he heard Paul telling Timothy to write this down, or maybe he got to carry the letter back and he read it and was like, oh, this is awesome. Look what he said about me. Look what he said about me. You know, he talked to his, his brother Hermes. Hey, Hermes, look what he said. You know, the only Greek guy I could think of. I don't, maybe that was his brother. I don't Make it that. But let's take a closer look at these uh, to be inspired, not, not just as sons, but to also be inspired to, you know, to, to be these other things as well. Uh, the first one here is brothers. I am in that photo. It's a different hairstyle a few years ago. I've been experimenting with hairstyles as I get older because I still have hair, so that's good. Um, but these are actually all my brothers. I, I, I have four daughters, but I grew up with five brothers. So I've, I've been transported to opposite universes as I get older. And uh, that, on the far left is, is the oldest one, my, my big brother Skyler. Uh, on the far right uh, is my, the next one down after me. I'm the second oldest. My next one down is Logan. Uh, and then the big one in the middle is the, is the youngest one, ironically, uh, Chris. Uh, and, then, and then on the left is, is my other brother, Matt. Uh, and so that, those are, those are my, those are my uh, four brothers. The, the names being so different is a whole other story we don't have time for. Um, but Paul here, he, he calls Epaphroditus his brother. His brother, right? The term brother in Greek connotes warm, personal intimacy and friendship. And I love, uh, you know, this idea that, you know, bro- brother, brothers don't just handshake. You know, brothers, brothers, we'll, we'll punch each other. You know, we'll, we'll call each other every name in the book, you know. But we, you know, we, we, don't, we don't just, you know, nice to see you, nice to see you. You know, we, me and my brothers, you know, we, we give each other hugs. You know, we, we're, we're affectionate. That's the only time we're ever affectionate with each other. But there's just a special bond, right? A special bond with brothers. My brothers can absolutely drive me crazy like no one else on the planet. I mean, they can get on my last nerve real fast. I could go through the whole list and tell you all about it. We don't have time, but, but man, they're my brothers. And if, and if someone else is hurting them or, or hindering them, I, I've got their back. Not in a violent way, amen, I'm a Christian. But you understand what I'm saying, right? It's, they're my brothers. I, I, you know, I have their back. It gets me emotional just thinking about them. I miss them. I miss them. You know, a brother, a brother is different from a child. The child, you know, this idea that a child today is more, you know, you know, over under relationship, we get mentored, we get you know discipled, and, and that's a healthy thing, and we should always have people like that in our lives. But but when Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother, he's he's talking as as peers, as his fellow his fellow Christian brother, right? And so it's 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 a little bit different. And 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 how are Paul and Epaphroditus like brothers? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. This is a guy who penned two thirds of the New Testament. This is a guy who will go down, you know, in church history, you know, to me, in my mind, is the greatest Christian ever. I mean, the guy is amazing. He's, he's, the, he's the brave heart of the New Testament, you know what I'm saying? He's, just, he's epic. He's amazing. And then, and then Paul says, you know, yeah, me, me and Epaphroditus, we're brothers. We're arm in arm. 
We're like these guys, you know, but just not with the, with the wedding outfits. That's my brother Chris's wedding. It's, we don't normally dress that way, trust me. Quite the opposite. But, but you know, how, how, does that, how does that happen? Because, because, again, you know, what Epaphroditus does by bringing this food and this aid and just being there for Paul as he's in house arrest in Rome is no less important in the body of Christ than what Paul the Apostle is doing. We just, Keith just used the passage in the welcome. Every part matters. All parts are important. But again, as we look at it from a worldly standpoint, we often forget this. A true brother, a true sister has your back. They're there for you, right? And I think it's, it, it's a great uh, practical reminder for all of us as to why every meeting of the body matters. Our best attendance every week is this service, Sunday at 4 o'clock. But there's nothing in the New Testament that says this service today with your brothers and sisters is more important than your family group meeting. There's nothing in the New Testament that says that this service today is, is more important you know, than the, the Friday night congregationals we have twice a month. There's nothing in the New Testament that teaches that. This is an important meeting, for sure. But anytime the brothers or sisters get together, it's an important meeting. Because we can't do that if we're not together. We can't be brothers and sisters if we don't know what's going on in each other's lives and we don't meet together on a regular basis. Now, we had a great men's meeting last, uh, yesterday, Saturday, in the park. We were reading our Bibles there. The men's meeting consisted of uh, some stuff about NASA and the moon, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, some growling and smiling, and a guy named Ricky. I want to thank Ricky. Ricky did a great job organizing it, put it together. Thank you, Ricky. It was cold. It was wet. But we bonded. All the guys that were there, we, we, you know, there, there were some sparks you know, in the game. You know, there, was, there was some, some amens and some uhs in the lesson from Ricky. And there, there was some you know, spirited discussion afterwards, some indignation. You know, there, was some th- there was some stuff, but we left that time in the park bonded as brothers. And we just spent a few hours. It wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't this you know, monumental occasion. But there, of course, if you look at this picture, there's a lot of men in the room today that are definitely not in this picture. And hey, man, I get it. Some of you had stuff. I get it. I, I'm sure some of us, we couldn't make it. The Bible says, don't be in the habit of not meeting together. It's not a sin to miss a meeting. Let me clarify that. It's not a sin. If you can't be there, you can't be there. And I don't want you to feel guilty about that. Hopefully your heart is you want to be there. I hope that's your heart. You know, and if that's not your heart, you've got to really ask yourself, you know, am I really a brother in this church if I don't want to be at a men's meeting? Um, I really want to challenge you on that. And if you're convicted, be convicted. Because the brothers get together, the brothers should be getting together. They should all be there. And so I hope that as the men get together, in the future we'll see more of the brothers there. If you weren't there and you could have been there, we missed you. If you weren't there and you could have been there, you missed out. And I want to encourage us to, to have that kind of fellowship. And when the sisters get together, the same thing, right? We, the sisters get together, the sisters need to be there. Family groups get together, we need to be there. And yeah, it's it, it sometimes a service to do that. And it feels like service to do that, but we all benefit when servants are like brothers. The next thing here is co-workers. Two more here, we're almost done. Servants are also like co-workers. Some of us right now are thinking about brothers and sisters as co-workers. And like, this is not good. I can't have this image. Maybe you're having a tough time at work. But that's the phrase Paul uses, right? He calls Epaphroditus, you know, he calls him a co-worker. 
Epaphroditus, you know, he's a, he's a kingdom workhorse. He does what is asked of him. Okay, you guys need me to go visit, visit Paul? I'll do it. You know, what do I need to bring? Back then, that was about a six-week journey. Uh, from Philippi to Rome would have taken him uh, about six weeks, and it would have been about an 800-mile, 1,300-kilometer, Scott, for you, uh, journey. 800-mile <laughs> journey. 1,300 kilometers. That was no small task. And what did he do? He brought Paul some gifts. Maybe he did some chores and some cooking uh, while he was there. But I love that about Paul. He doesn't, he doesn't trivialize Epaphroditus. He's my brother. He's my co-worker. The work that I'm doing for the gospel, Epaphroditus is a co-worker in it. That's literally what he is saying. He doesn't belittle the little acts of service that Epaphroditus has done. It's the apostle versus a spiritual errand boy. But they're co-workers. They're co-workers. And it reminds us that we are always better together than we are apart. We are always better together uh, than we are apart. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, I love preaching. I enjoy preaching. It's, it's definitely part, a big part of my job. Uh, but I couldn't do this today without so many of you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to work full-time in the ministry because you guys work and give contribution. And I want to thank you for that. I thank you for the support. It frees me up so I can focus full-time on the church and help, helping the church, you know, move forward. And i got to keep, you know, growing on that and working on that. But I thank you for that. It frees me up so I can spend hours in my Bible reading, learning, understanding it so that I can come and share whatever I've learned with you, uh, good or bad, you know, every Sunday. You know, that, again, without your guys' support, I, I couldn't do that. Uh, without a microphone, you wouldn't be able to hear me today. The sound crew, you know, the, you know people come and go and t take the stuff, especially Scott and Ricky right now. And just a side note, young men, Scott and Ricky are not quite as young as you guys. And I appreciate their hearts, but I, I think the younger men can step up a lot in this church and do some of the stuff the older men are doing. Just, just, just a side note there. See Scott or Ricky if you want to enlist on the sound crew. But I... I I couldn't get up here and preach without so many of you behind the scenes. You know, Mwamba does the slides every Sunday, and I send them to her once I make them. And there's so many things that go on, and no one gets thanked for it, but they do it, and it makes a difference. And so as a preacher, all of you who help me do what I do, you're my coworkers. You're helping me, you know, do what I'm supposed to do, and I thank you for that. Special contribution, you know, is another example of this. We can kind of think, oh, okay, yeah, 5,000 pounds. I mean, pfft, you know, what is my, what is my 50 pounds going to do to that? But if... If a hundred disciples of Jesus give 50 pounds, we've hit our goal of 5,000. That doesn't seem so hard to do, does it, when you do it together? And Paul and Epaphroditus, they display this, how, how sometimes just a little bit of service for someone can do something really great. Epaphroditus, a little bit of service to Paul allowed Paul to do some great things. And we're still benefiting from the letter that he wrote you know, in that service from Epaphroditus uh, 2,000 years later. So to keep serving, you know, we've got to be brothers, we've got to be co-workers, and finally we've got to be soldiers. We've got to be soldiers. You know, it's never enough just to be a worker in the church. you also got to be a spiritual warrior. I think sometimes we settle for being workers. Because that's more safe and comfortable. But God, He wants us to be warriors. There's, there's a spiritual battle going on right now. In this room and in this city. In your home tonight, at your workplace tomorrow, at your school there. There are spiritual battles going on all the time. J.R.R. Tolkien and these guys who write these fantasy, they're talking about spiritual reality. It may not be real, but this is real. There, there's a real battle going on. And Paul, he gets it, right? He's on house arrest. His neck is on the line. He knows there's a spiritual battle going on. And he, and he calls Epaphroditus his, you know, his fellow soldier. Epaphroditus, he's in the battle too. 
So much so that Paul says in verse 27, he was sick, he was sick to the point of death. He was sick to the point of death. Sorry, I don't have that. Um, yeah, he almost died. I'm sorry, in, in chapter 2, uh, verse 30, he almost died. He risked his life, Paul says, to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And Paul says in verse 30, we should honor, we should honor men like him. Because he's willing to, to, to lay down his life for the gospel and for the advancement of the gospel. You know, Epaphroditus, you know, he, he, he was just a courier, a messenger. But Paul says we should honor him. Because, you know, he, he, he was like a soldier. Soldiers, soldiers will, will, will follow their commanding officers to the point of death. That's, that, that's what they're taught to do, right, in, in the military. And Epaphroditus, was, was, he was going to get that money to, to Paul even if he died. That's how serious he was about his service uh, in the church. That's convicted, isn't it? And what's interesting is, I think when Paul saw Epaphroditus, he saw Christ. Because what's interesting here in, in these, these two phrases, uh, we've already read Philippians 2, verse 8, where it says that Jesus humbled himself uh, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That same Greek phrase for, that he uses for death there, Paul in 2, verse 8, is the same uh, Greek phrase he uses in chapter 2, verse 30, when it says that he risked his life, and he almost died. And so I think Paul, as he saw Epaphroditus, he saw Christ. And so it was no small matter what Epaphroditus was doing, because he was, he, was, he was in the spiritual battle. He was willing to lay down his life. And the other thing about Epaphroditus that I really appreciate um, is in verses 26 to 27, it says you know, that he was longing for all the church in Philippi, as Paul writes this, and why was he long? Because it says he's distressed because you heard he was ill. And so Epaphroditus, he, he's distressed now, not because he was sick and almost died. He's distressed because he heard the church in Philippi heard he was sick and he was worried that they were worried about him. I mean, what a soldier. It's not about his feelings. It's not about how he's doing. It's, it's all about the, the kingdom that he's serving and the God that he's honoring. And his brothers and sisters, oh, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. He's, he's not focused on his feelings. And we tend, in this day and age, a lot of times to focus on our feelings. Well, I know what the Bible says, but this is how I feel. There's oftentimes a real stumbling block in the church. Well, I, I know what the Bible says, but you know, this happened and that happened. And therefore, and this is what I feel, and we feel it very strongly. And amen, sometimes things are wrong, and they should be accounted for, and apologies should be made. But if we're in a spiritual war, we got to be, still be soldiers, and we, we might be injured. We might have to bind up that wound and move on, because we're, sti we're, st we're still in a spiritual battle, regardless of whether things, the wrongs are righted in the end. And that's just the reality, and Epaphroditus is a great example of that. You know, Epaphroditus, as time goes on, is becoming more and more of a warrior and less and less of a wimp. And spiritually, that's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to be warriors, to, to get stronger and stronger. And amen, I'm not trying to belittle emotional pain. I'm not trying to belittle you know, abuse and mistreatment and things like that. It needs to be dealt with as much as we can. But at some point, we've, we've got to move on. We've got to be soldiers. We've got to be spiritually tough because we are in a spiritual battle. You know, Epaphroditus was just, he's just an, an, an average member of, of any church today, right? Someone we never would have even heard of had not the Apostle Paul talked about him in such great detail. He never served in a public capacity. I bet he never preached a sermon. 
Uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't shepherd a flock from what we know. He didn't, he didn't take the gospel to an unreached area with great fanfare. You know, he, he didn't receive any special revelation that we know of. We don't know if he, if he wrote down anything. All he did was deliver a bag of money to Paul and then look after him. Yet he is called Paul's brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And Paul says he, he is to be honored. That's how serious Paul took service in God's church. Do we take it that serious ourselves? And it reminds us really of the power of one servant. The power of one servant. Paul says, this guy is making such a difference for me that I'm going to talk about him and I'm going to lift him up. And now this guy is canonized in Scripture as a matter of fact because of his willingness to serve God's people. You know, this week, will you go and just serve one new person in the church? Are you willing to do that? What difference might that make eternally? We don't really know. Are you willing to just go serve one new neighbor, one, one new coworker, one new student that you just Just go and serve. Epaphroditus is a great reminder of the power of one person who just serves in the name of Jesus. You know, we've got to keep serving. This is a lot about being inspired to serve. I know we all know we have to serve, but we've got to want to serve. Sometimes I, I don't want to serve, but I still serve. I'm not saying don't serve if you don't want to. Let me clarify that. That's why the Bible says to deny yourself and carry your cross, because we oftentimes don't want to do what we ought to do. But let's get, let's get more and more inspired to serve. Timothy and Epaphroditus are great inspirations and examples for all of us. Church, will we keep serving like children, like brothers, co-workers, and soldiers? Oftentimes in churches, only a few people really get this and live it out. And everyone else stands back and watches them and admires them and appreciates them. But this is God's plan for all of us. All of us can make a difference. All of us can be like an Epaphroditus. Many of us can be like a Timothy even. You know, as you grow privately, eventually God uses you publicly. And what if we all live this way? We can and we must. It's a life imitating Christ. He was God and became a servant, is what we just read right earlier uh, in chapter 2. And if you need more help with this practically, our next congregational meeting on the 7th of October here uh, on a Friday, the first Friday in October, we're going to have a service workshop. And we're going to talk about talents and gifts from God. And we're going to talk about needs in the church. And we're going to try to meet needs and connect people with situations and create new opportunities for every member of the church to serve in some way. I want every member of the church to feel like they can make a difference and that they can offer their talents and gifts because every one of us has talents and gifts God has given us. If you're visiting with us today and you're new, we want to encourage you to, to just jump on in. Come to the workshop. Come get involved. You know, we, we, we believe that God has given you gifts too that He wants to use uh, to build up His church and to change the world. Now, we've heard a lot of talk about Jesus in chapter 2. Now it's time to walk the talk. And our service oftentimes, right, is when we start to do that. And so as a church, you know, let's keep serving as children, brothers, co-workers, and soldiers. And the Birmingham Church of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.